Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. We're actually going to look at three different passages of Scripture today. So if you have your Bible with you or the Bible app on your phone, then please pull it out. But my beautiful Izzy is back there and she's going to put them up on the screen for you too. So you can read along if you don't have your Bible with you. We're going to start in Isaiah 66 verses 1 to 2. It says, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Then we're going to flick over back, actually, to Psalm 132, and we're going to read verses 13 and 14. It says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. And then one more, we're going to flick over to the New Testament, Ephesians, Ephesians 2. And we're going to read from verse 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So today I want to talk to you about being a resting place for God's presence. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, that you're already here. God, I thank you that you are here in our midst. And Lord, we worship you as the king. Lord, we love you and I thank you, God, for what you're doing, Lord, in your people. God, I'm just asking, Lord, that uh, there would be open hearts, Lord, that you would speak. God, I thank you that you speak so personally. And Lord, I thank you that no one is here by accident today. God, I thank you that um, you have something, Lord, that you want to deposit in every life. And so, Lord, I thank you, God, for your anointing upon me to communicate your word. Lord, I trust you to lead me in these next few moments in Jesus' name. Amen. So as most of you know, we went to Revival Conference, the two conferences, uh, last month now in Melbourne. And whenever we go to Melbourne, we always, Jason always books an Airbnb. And the last several times we've gone, it's all, they've always worked out great. But this time was a little bit different. So when we arrived in Melbourne, it was, well, it was after dark. Um, and we got to the house and the house was freezing. Now, granted, it was very cold in Melbourne. But when we got inside the Airbnb, the inside of the house was actually colder than the outside. So there, we found this one wall unit in the common area that heated, but then there was a hallway with all these bedrooms that were not heated. Now, obviously the owner had recognized that it was colder than normal in Melbourne. And so she had actually dropped off these little space heaters in each room. So Jason went around and just began to turn on all the heaters and then the girls' room 
we figured out was actually a garage that they had just put a rug down and a bed in there. So we weren't sure how that was going to heat because there were gaps under the door. Anyway, then Jason goes to put the kettle on and everything blacks out. So off he goes outside to the, finds the breaker, turns it back on, comes back inside. Okay. And we, everything comes back on again. And then the kids go to put the TV on darkness again. Back. So Jason's in and out, in and out like a yo-yo. Um, so I had actually been catching up with a friend that evening and, um, she called me to, to see how the Airbnb was. And I was like, look, I don't know what we're going to do. It's freezing. We just want to get in bed and get warm. And she said, look, why don't you just come and stay with me? She's got a beautiful home. And so long story short, we ended up going to her house and we actually ended up staying with her for the whole 10 days. And it was so beautiful. She's one of my closest friends and um, it's like home away from home. So we were very thankful and blessed. And so the next morning when we woke up, um, she, um, Sim, Sim and I were on the worship team together. And so she loves to play piano and we love to sing together. So we just had a time of worship together in our house. And as we were singing, I felt the Lord tell me to open my Bible to Isaiah 66. And so I opened it up and read that first scripture that we read together. And I just really felt the Lord impress on me that he wanted me to encourage Sim that she really, that God had found a resting place in her and that also I could sense his presence in her home. And so she hosts a life group every fortnight in her home and she leads worship in that life group. And I just really sense the pleasure of the Lord. She's, she's had a really rough couple of years. Um, but the thing I love about her is she's always gone to worship in those moments. So when she doesn't know how to parent, she worships. When she's tired, she worships. When she needs wisdom from God, she worships. And so, I just really sense to encourage her with that, that she knows where her help comes from. And then during revival conference, Jesus met with us so powerfully. I know many of you were there. And during one of the worship times, I, I heard the Lord say again, I found a resting place here. So as I left Melbourne, I left with this really strong desire more than ever to, for me to be a resting place for the Holy Spirit. And I was asking the question, how do I live this way. I know that it's not just reserved for a conference or for special meetings that we go to, but I want to learn how to carry myself like a holy habitation. And Jason and I also desire this for our church here in Perth and um, for it to be a resting place for God's spirit. Um, I actually just want to honor you, Jason, um, and just say publicly, thank you for leading our church so well. Thank you for always making room for God's spirit to move. Thank you for the way that you seek him. I, I see more than anyone else sees, and I see you every day praying, seeking after God. Thank you for coming early every week. You're here three hours early to set the room, and I know that you're praying as you're setting the chairs up and all the equipment, and thank you even for, for what you do practically to create a resting place for God to come and meet with us. And I just want to honor you for that because we're so grateful and thankful for the way you lead us. So we first need to understand that God is looking for a resting place. So as we read at the start in Psalm 132, the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever, the Lord says, and here I will dwell for I have desired it. So in the old covenant, 
context, the resting place for God actually referred to the temple in Jerusalem, specifically on Mount Zion. So David wanted to build a permanent dwelling for the Lord, um, for the Ark of the Covenant, which, is, which represented God's presence. And that ended up being fulfilled by his son Solomon. So Solomon was the one who built the temple. And I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago, Jason preached from 2 Chronicles 6 and 7, um, where Solomon dedicated the temple. And I'd encourage you to go and read it again, because I was reading it this week, and I was just amazed at what happened in that moment. Um, after Solomon prayed this prayer of dedication, uh, clearly there were people that weren't at the temple at the time, but they were in close enough proximity to see what was going on. And in scripture, it doesn't say what they saw, but it just says the people looked and saw the glory of God descend out of the sky onto the temple. And it was so powerful that it says they knelt on the pavement and actually put their faces on the concrete because the power of God was so strong. Now, while Mount Zion was an actual hill in Jerusalem where the temple was built, that's also a metaphor for the gathering of God's people. So the author in Hebrews refers to Mount Zion as the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the church of the firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. So in other words, Mount Zion is an Old Testament foreshadowing of the church. So when David says in the Psalms that he's chosen Zion, it doesn't mean he's chosen a physical place, but it means he's chosen a people to be his resting place. Zion is the place where his presence will dwell. So in the old covenant, that was a literal temple, but under the new covenant, his presence dwells with the church. The ultimate dwelling place of God's presence is a gathering of people who have made their own hearts a resting place for God's spirit. Now, the New Testament teaches us that faith in Jesus Christ, that sorry, that through faith in Jesus Christ, God's spirit now dwells within each believer. So this indwelling of the Holy Spirit represents a deeper and more intimate connection with God compared to the people who just went to worship at the temple. So praise God that we don't have to go to a temple, right? Or even, I was going to say even come to church, keep coming to church. It's a good thing to come to church and I'll unpack that a bit more, but we are the temple. That's what scripture tells us that we carry in our bodies. We carry the presence of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So notice he dwells in our midst as we gather. So there's something very unique. There's a unique presence that God brings when we gather together. So that might explain why for some of you, if not all of you, it's a battle. Put your hand up if you would say it's a battle sometimes to come to church. Like unexpected things happen or you just feel a bit like, oh, you know, you're trying to decide, do I really want to go? Sometimes, like I know with our kids, we, we had a chat one week because it would get to a certain time on Sunday and they'd all start feeling sick and have like a stomachache. And I'm like, okay, something's going on here because you've, you've been fine all week. And then it would get to like one o'clock on a Sunday. And, and it was real, like they were really not feeling well. But we had a chat about it and we're like, hey, maybe there's like an enemy that doesn't want us to go and gather with God's people. Later on in chapter six, Paul then speaks of us individually being a temple. So in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. 
you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So God wants our gathering to be a resting place for his spirit. But he also wants each of our lives to be a place where the spirit can rest. In fact, the more that each of us make our individual lives a resting place for his spirit, then the more powerful his presence can manifest when we all come together. So maybe imagine it like each of our lives represent a little flame. And imagine that as all these flames come together in one place and God's spirit breathes on us. So we're called pneuma, which means breath, spirit. Imagine as all these flames come together, God breathes on us and it creates this huge fire. And then we experience, you know, the holiness and the beauty of God as we worship together. And then as we leave and go back to our homes, it's like little spot fires starting all over the city. Jesus is building the church into a resting place for his spirit. This is what Paul says in the Ephesians passage that we read at the start. He said that we're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So each of us individually are being built together into a resting place for God. You know, after studying these passages, especially this week, I can see why a consumer attitude towards church is really offensive to God because we don't come to church to get our needs met. God wants to meet what's going on in our life. He wants to meet us where we're at. But we actually come to church to be built into this holy dwelling for God's spirit. And I believe that as each of us pursue becoming a resting place for his spirit, then there's a corporate building of God's spirit. And it's actually very significant, us coming together of something that he wants to do in our city, which is why he's placed us here. So can you see how our greatest pursuit in life should be to become a resting place for God's spirit? And so how do we do that? How do we become a resting place for his spirit? Well, I want to share a few things that I believe are going to help you in that pursuit. And so the first thing is that we pursue him. We actively pursue him. We must make God's desire our desire. And what is his desire? Well, again, back to the passages of scripture we read at the beginning, God's asking, where will my resting place be? And then he tells us in Psalm 132, this is my resting place. It's Zion. It's the people of God. This is where I've chosen to dwell forever. And then also Ephesians, he says, you're being built together to become a dwelling where I will live by my spirit. So in each of these passages, we see that God's desire is that each of us would be a place where his spirit dwells. We must desire him just as much as he desires us. And how do we do that? Well, I believe it starts with a commitment in each of our lives to worship, to prayer, and to the word. So we do all these things when we come together, but I believe that also needs, a com needs to be a commitment individually that we will do this. And I believe that as we do this, 2 Corinthians 3.18 will become our reality, which says, as we behold him, we become like him. And then I believe as we become like him, his desires become our desires. We will actively pursue what we desire. I'll never forget um, Nathan, his first Easter egg hunt. So he was two years old. His birthday always fell around Easter time. And I was so excited because I love making memories with the family. And, and so I was so excited. I was like, he's two, he's running around. He's going to be so excited. Now, unfortunately, um, when Nathan 
Nathan dealt with a lot of allergies when he was a baby. And so when he was one, we had him tested and found out that he was allergic to wheat, dairy, eggs, and nuts. Which pretty much covers every food group. Um, so anyway, he's, he's outgrown some of those, praise the Lord. Um, but a real treat for Nathan was sultanas. So, oh yeah, okay, you can, that, I was going to have you put that up later, but it's all good. So he, um, his favorite things were sultanas. So I was like, I'm going to buy these little plastic eggs and I'm going to put sultanas inside of them. And, you know, he'll be really, he'll go, he can go on an Easter egg hunt and he'll be excited because he loves sultanas. And as I was filling these eggs, I, I just felt really sad. And I, I felt like I was ripping him off a little bit because one of my favorite things about Easter, other than the resurrection of Jesus, which is what our faith, you know, it's the pinnacle of our faith. Um, is I loved getting chocolate Easter eggs. And so I was like, I can't get him chocolate because of the dairy. And I went on a bit of a hunt. This is, you know, we're talking 18 years ago now. There's, there's lots of foods now that cater for allergies, but back then it was a lot harder. Anyway, I found these all natural gluten-free jelly beans. So I was like, okay, I actually didn't tell Jason because <laughs> we didn't really give Nathan sugar, but I was like, come on, it's Easter. We're making memories going to be a bit of a treat so I, I didn't put many in I just filled a few with like I put two jelly beans in there so anyway he's, he's running around he's got his little basket you can put the picture up now is he's, he's got his little basket they were his little friends Isaac and Jakey and um, he goes running around to find these eggs and fills his basket and then he just I guess he I think we said to him oh you know the eggs actually open. you can open them up and have a look in there and so he opened one up and got really excited, saw the sultanas, shoved them in his mouth and went to find more eggs and then obviously wanted to open more eggs. So he opens the next egg that he found and there's these two little jelly beans in there that he'd never seen before. And so he, has, he looks a bit confused and I'm like, it's okay, you can, you can have it. So anyway, he puts it in his mouth and like it only took a few seconds of like just pure joy on his face like what is this <laughs> and the funniest part i wish i could show you the video it's we you couldn't take video kids back on your phone that phones didn't have a video option so we've got it on a camcorder somewhere but he proceeds to stand there i think this was the moment when he was doing it and he just opened every single plastic egg and the ones that had sultanas in he just threw them on the grass like <laughs> You know, no, who even cares about that? Like he just, he was going for the jelly beans, man. And I, you have me to thank for opening up a whole new world of sugary goodness to you. <laughs> but we can all relate to this, right? When we're hungry, we pursue food to satisfy our hunger. When we want to wind down and relax, we actively pursue Netflix or Stan or Prime or whatever I preferred watching platform is for something good to watch. Jason and I have this um, shared frustration that when we sit down to eat on a date night or whatever, and we want to watch something, we've always ended up finishing our food before we found what we're going to watch because there's like too many choices. So if he goes to pick up takeaways, like you need to find something to watch by the time I get back. Otherwise we're like, what's the point? We've already finished eating. So we must pursue him and take responsibility for that. Secondly, we prefer him. We must choose him over all else and allow his presence to change us. So there's actually a nuance here in Isaiah 66 that I haven't mentioned, but 
Um, we read from the NIV in the beginning, and it sounds from that translation that God is asking for a resting place. And I believe that's true. But if we have a look at the New Living Translation, this actually brings out the context in which Isaiah was prophesying. And the people at the time actually cared more about their religious duties at the temple than they cared about their hearts and about humbling themselves before God. And so let me read to you here the Isaiah 66, but in the New, New Living Translation, it says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. So in other words, God's saying, heaven is my throne and the, the entire earth, I prop my feet up on the entire earth. Only I can build a resting place for my spirit. And I believe he's saying in that he's not looking for what we can do for him, but he's looking for a surrendered heart. I think sometimes we can come to God and feel like we have to fix ourselves up or we have to be perfect before God can indwell us. But the truth is all he needs is a humble, willing, childlike heart that he can fill. A humble heart isn't trying to fix itself. A humble heart is asking to be made holy. A humble heart recognizes that God cannot dwell in a heart where there is the pride of unwillingness to turn from sin. A heart that desires to be made a resting place is always asking, Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to see that's standing in your way? And when he shows us, it's simple. We just repent, we receive his forgiveness, and then we can become a resting place. You know, when Jason and I have a disagreement, Jason never has an issue forgiving me. I mean, he always forgives me, but it's a lot easier for him if I can humbly accept my part in the disagreement. And I have to say he's a lot more humble than I am. It just takes me a bit longer um, to humble myself. And the only time he finds it a challenge is if he will take responsibility for his part. And then when I still want to point out his part and not take responsibility for my own, he's like, mm, I forgive you, but it sure would be a lot easier if you would just humble yourself. I'm actually very thankful that God gave me such a kind and loving husband who really does lead the way in humility. Thirdly, we must preserve our unity. If we're being built together into a spiritual dwelling, we have to fiercely guard our unity because the spirit will not rest where there is gossip, backbiting and unforgiveness. We should all desire to protect our unity at all costs. Love believes the best, and we need to believe the best about one another, and we need to keep short accounts with one another. That means if there's something in a relationship that needs to be addressed, let's go directly to that person and have a conversation. Let's not talk about it with lots of other people, but let's go and, and be mature about it and work it out. I've never been an athlete, but I've always desired to just have a go. So in primary school, there was actually one race every year of primary school that I would win. Now, I'd love to tell you that it was the 100 meter sprint, but it wasn't. But I'm still very proud. It was actually the three-legged race. That is like, that's what I would win along with my friend, Sarah. So 
part of the reason we would win is because we had a really great strategy. It's actually a very hard race to win, you know, like, <laughs> we should try it sometime. We sh next time we have a family day, I'll show you. Anyway, so for those of you that don't know, I'm sure you all do, that it's the left leg and the right leg. I should have had, got my kids to do it to demonstrate, but basically they tie your legs together, your ankles together with a rope, like pretty tight. So I'm sure it would be like, they probably wouldn't do it now because they don't want kids getting injured and school could get in trouble or something. But anyway, this was a long time ago, like 30 years ago. <laughs> So anyway, we had this strategy. So some people barely even made it off the start line. And part of the reason was they didn't, they, they didn't want to really work together. So they were trying to do their own thing, but also they weren't even kind of connected. Like they didn't want to hold hands. It was like, eh, don't touch me. But me and Sarah, we knew the strategy. So I was a little bit taller than her. So I had my hand around her shoulder and she would put her arm around my waist. So we were like glued together. Like our thighs were glued together. And then I would, like, we didn't care what people thought. I would count out loud. So we'd start walking. We'd, so the one was with that. I'm helping you out here. I can get, like, you could win a three-legged race next time there's a, you know, there might be, like, a, a kids' sports days. Do they still do, like, parent races at school? Yeah. So the outer leg would be one. Stop video. <laughs> and the, this leg would be joined together. So we'd count one, two, one. Too, and then I would get faster and faster. So we actually ran, like we ran the three-legged race. Most people walk three-legged races, but we ran it and didn't fall over. What is my point here? <laughs> we stayed very close together. We were in unity. And as I was thinking about this illustration, I was thinking about Paul in Galatians 5, where he talks about keeping in step with the spirit. So if we are spending time in the word, in prayer, in worship, in our own times with the Lord. If we're staying in step with the spirit, then we're going to stay unified. Sometimes I'll be talking to Jason and I'll say, I shouldn't really say this, but, and then I say it. So if any of you do that, it's probably an indicator from the Holy Spirit that you should stop after I probably shouldn't say this and just not say it. Just as the Israelites followed the cloud by day and the fire by night, we too should desire to follow after the presence of God. We only want to go where he leads. And we can trust him. The, the word tells us that he's our good shepherd. Sometimes God's going to ask you to do something and he's not going to tell you why he's asking you to do it. He just wants you to trust him. He wants to see if you will obey him at his word without an explanation why. He just wants our obedience. I just listened recently to this brilliant podcast. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's called Redman and Riddle. And it's Matt Redman, who is a, he's been a worship leader for the last 20 plus years in the UK. And Jeremy Riddle is an American worship leader. And so they're talking about all kinds of things, having a conversation. And Jeremy Riddle told this story of this was before anybody knew who he was. So he was kind of starting out and he'd been asked to lead worship at a pastor's conference. So he said during rehearsal, as he was um, sound checking, he just started to play the U2 song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And he was just warming up his guitar. And, but he said as he was doing it, he could feel something on it. And then he was like, yeah, but it, that's a 
you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna sing that in a pastor's conference, like that's crazy and forgot about it. And then he gets kind of halfway through his set and the Holy Spirit's like, I want you to start singing this song. So he's wrestling, you know, in his mind, he's like, I don't know, this is a room full of pastors, like what are they gonna do? Anyway, he said he, the feeling just wouldn't leave him. And so, you know, he starts to play and he said, the minute he sings the first line, which I think is like, um, I have climbed highest mountains. He said, there's like this dead silence in the room. <laughs> and you, he could tell people were like, oh, anyway, he kept singing. And then the Holy Spirit had told him to sing when he got to the chorus, you are all, you are all I've been looking for. And he said, when he sang that line, the Holy Spirit just fell like an explosion. People were weeping and so he was just talking about how it, he just had to be obedient. So then um, Matt Redman was talking about an experience he had when he went to Norway and he, he tells the story of how he had to get, like he got the ferry over there. He said it took him hours to get there. And he said it was a really tough crowd and he was like, man, I just wanna get this set over with and get back home. Like this is, it feels, this feels a bit pointless. Like what am I doing here? People are not even really uh, responding. And towards the end of the set, all of a sudden this Michael Jackson song pops in his head. You are not alone. And he's like, you know, get behind me, Satan. Like, I'm not going to sing that. But again, it wouldn't leave him. So he said in, in this moment of worship, he just started to sing, um, you are not alone. I'm here with you. And then he just moved on and kind of hurriedly finished the set and then was packing up ready to go home. And after the service, this lady came to him and she was crying her eyes out. And she said to him, I drove seven hours in the car to be here tonight. And she said, I came because I was desperate. She said, I was at the end of my rope. And I was saying to the Lord all the way here in the car, you've left me alone. Why have you left me alone? And she said in that moment, when you sang those words of a Michael Jackson song, I heard the Lord singing that over my life and it and it changed her in that in that moment and you know he was saying we we won't always get the testimony that follows our obedience sometimes we will and the lord will want to encourage us in that way but other times it's just being obedient staying in step with the spirit listening to his voice and doing what he tells us to do nathan if you can come back up and join me you know, we've been talking a lot about revival in our church and praying for revival to come to Perth. And again, I've been thinking, what does that really mean? Like when I, in the past, when I've prayed for revival, I'll be honest, it's felt like something that's a little bit out of reach. And it's been, Lord, send revival. There'll be mass deliverance, mass healing. People will be coming to know you, but it's felt a little bit out of reach at times. And then I feel like since what God did in me at conference, I've been praying, Lord, send revival and let it start with me. What does revival look like in my life? I think it should look a lot like the fruit of the spirit. I'm not talking about being perfect by any means, but just aware of working on and cultivating the spirit in our life. And then there'll be fruit that comes from that. What is the benefit of me worshiping God worshiping my heart out, encountering him at a conference, falling on the floor, maybe experiencing his presence. If 
when I get up off the floor, I'm yelling at my kids because we're all tired and hungry because the meeting ran over. Not speaking from experience because of the three conferences that I've just been at. But encounters have a purpose. They're there for a purpose. They're there to produce Christ-likeness in us. So in preparing for this message, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole on YouTube and went back to my mom. Um, she used to play, she loved vineyard worship and she used to play it all the time in the house. And I just want to say to the mums here, don't stop playing worship songs in the house. Like I would, I would go to school. I would never tell my mom. Sometimes it would annoy me. I'd be like, oh, she's got that. I mean, even though I was serving God too, I was like, oh, she's got that CD on again. Like sick of the same songs but what would happen is I'd be in class at school and all of a sudden these lyrics would be going around in my head God's truth so mums don't stop setting the spiritual thermostat in your home don't don't stop playing those worship songs and letting your kids see you reading your bible and because it will reap a harvest thank you for joining us for this message today We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.